Hello, bookworms. Welcome to The Best Book Ever, the podcast where I get to know interesting people by asking them about their favorite books. I'm your host, Julie Strauss, and I am so excited to be here today with the second annual Kids and YA gift-giving guide. Once again, I invited a whole bunch of young people to tell me about their favorite books. And once again, these were my favorite conversations of the year. Kids' literature is so diverse and so interesting, and the kids who love to read are my absolute favorite kids. If you are shopping for young people this holiday season, hopefully you'll get some great ideas from the smart, funny readers who join me today. Just like last year, these stories are in age order, so in case you're listening with your youngsters, remember, the subject matters do get more serious as we move along. I know you're going to love hearing these young people tell me about what they think is the best book ever. I am Hope and I am seven. Hope, will you tell me about your favorite book? My favorite book is actually a series called Magic Treehouse. Magic Treehouse. Will you tell me what Magic Treehouse is all about? Magic Treehouse is all about Annie and Jack who go on these adventures in the treehouse using their books. So they point to a picture in a book, and the treehouse can magically take them anywhere. There are a whole bunch of Magic Treehouse books, right? Yeah, I picked Christmas in Camelot because I've had it, and also it's different than most of the books. But they're all written by Mary Pope Arthur Band. If I'm saying that correctly. I think you are. How How is Christmas and Camelot different than the other ones? Um, All the other ones, well, all the other ones is a real place on a real time. Oh, okay. Like a, like a history place or just another place in the world? Um, history. A history place. Okay. So Christmas and Camelot is like a pretend place? Yes, it's a fantasy, but it. But at the back, I read the back, and it tells about how she got inspiration and made this story. And it's about some myths from a long time ago, I think. And it's about King Arthur and the three knights of the round table. So what happens when these two kids get to Camelot? It sounds like if there are knights, it might be a little bit dangerous. No, the knights are on their side because they're welcomed by King Arthur. And King Arthur controls the knights. Okay, so then what happens? Well, Camelot lost its happiness and magic because they've already been to Camelot once, but after they went to Camelot, King Arthur defeated its enemy, but not before it made all of King Arthur's land, that's Camelot, go gray and dreary and not fun at all. Oh, that sounds awful. Yeah, so Jack and Annie go on a quest sent from the Christmas night to restore peace to Camelot. And also, the Christmas night 
made Morgan Lee Fay the owner of Magic Tree House and the librarian from Camelot frozen. So they go on a hunt for the golden chalice because that is what they have to do. They have to get the golden chalice and drink from it to restore happiness to Camelot. And then King Arthur already sent some knights to go get it and they didn't return because there's this magical dancing fairy gate that you can get trapped in because you want to dance forever and ever and ever. And once you start dancing, you can't stop dancing unless there's someone else to stop you. And they had no one else to stop you, but Jack did it and Annie stopped him. And so they made it out of there and then they made it to the Golden Cup and they had to defeat some monsters and like dragons. So they drank from the Golden Chalice to imagine how they would get out of that sticky situation because it was very stuck in that situation. (laughs) And so they imagined their way out and Annie imagined almost all of how they got out and Jack just imagined them crawling back into their cave. And did it work? Yes. Just by crawling? No. And he imagined how they would defeat it. So they like took these wooden things or like stuff they had, or like candles, and then like they were the dragons were bearing fire as they do. As they do. Got the fire and then like <laughs> used it as their own weapon. Oh my gosh, that is so smart. And then the dragons came back into their cave. They found the knights and stopped them from their prance. So then they rode from the horseback very carefully because they don't want to spill the water they have so hard to get. And yeah. so they walked uh, along back to Camelot and then they dropped one drop of the water on Morgan Leafay. Now, Hope, my question is this. Have you read all of the books in Magic Treehouse? No. No. How many do you think you've read? Mm, I've read like like four, I think. Do you like the things like when they go back in real places like history ones? Or do you only like these special ones that have magical things like dragons? I like both of them. And I also like them a lot because they teach me in a very fun way about our history and our culture because I read another one called Buffaloes at Brepskids, and it actually taught me about, like, an American tribe, which culture ate buffalo and killed buffalo for stuff like tools, food, tents, everything they needed to survive. Who picks out books for you? Because I know your mommy's an English teacher, right? Um, I do. You pick out all your own? Does she tell you, like, I want you to read this one because it's very important for school? Or does she say, you can read whatever you want? She would probably say we would have to read something appropriate. Oh, yeah. And that's in our reading level. But I can read most of the dictionary. You, you what? Some of it. I can get a little distracted. I started to like it after I actually found it in my house. Do you know what I always used to do um, when I was your age? 
actually all throughout school, every single time I had to look up a word to find out what it meant, I would put a check mark next to it because I always like to go back and look and see all the words that I had looked up over at school. It is. Neat, yeah. huh? I still do that. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> I'm Mackenzie, and I'm seven years old. Mackenzie, tell me about your favorite book. My favorite book is Haunted Castle on Halloween Eve by Mary Pope of Cern. Is it about Halloween? Uh, kind of, yeah. Is this also a Magic Treehouse book? Yes. So what happens in Haunted Castle? Tell me about this book. Jack and Annie... Mm. Just arrives at the tree house, but they go into the tree, the giant tree. Uh-huh. And they find the heart of the tree, and it's like a giant library. So they kind of get sent to this town, and it kind of helps a bird. It's a crow. Okay. And then they go into the castle, and then they discover, like, all these weird noises. They go into the bedroom first. No one there, but they hear snoring. So the people were invisible. That's why. Oh. Yeah, so the hound was actually a dog. They discovered that after. Next thing, Andy discovers that, that they're alive like that. So she yells, if you can hear me, and writes something and give me a sign. And she wrote on the mirror because it was dusty. Oh, that's clever. Yeah, so she wrote on the mirror, and then okay. Annie discovered about the Raven King. And what happened? She told him about the how that she found it while they were playing hide and seek, and put it down to, to get a better look at it. And she left it alone, and then the Raven King swooped down and got it. So that's when they all turned invisible. Uh-huh. And then they discover, I saw this picture of it. It was this giant crow, like a body, but a crow head. And he was in a suit with two crows right next to him and Jack and Annie on the balcony. So they got it back and they turned back to normal. Mackenzie, I have to ask you a question because that sounds a little bit spooky. Is it spooky? A crow with a person body? It's a little weird. Are you normally pretty brave about spooky things? Yeah. Okay, so you're not you're not worried about crows with human yeah. bodies. If I see uh, one, I might I might actually smack it. <laughs> I'd rather smack it on the tail and like, mm. maybe right on the beak. Make. Yeah. Just yeah. Make it. Your sister told me that most of the Magic Treehouse books are in real places. True, that is true. But this one is a pretend place. Yes, like half is pretend and the rest, because there's a revolution on a wind. Vacation under a volcano, and that's about ancient Rome. Yeah, when Mount Vesuvius erupted. And we also have Monday with the Mad Genius, which I'm reading right now in Finnish. Who's who's that about? Who's the Mad Genius? Leonardo da Vinci. No kidding. Earthquake in the early morning. I think that is true. It was in San Francisco at August. I think it was on August 24th when a earthquake showed up. 
So they help them by giving them their boobs. Because their feet were cut and they forgot their shoes because most oh. things were burning. Do you read anything besides Magic Treehouse? Once I read the first book, Christmas and Camelot, which Hope told you about. Yeah. I started to get the full series. So, yeah. Hello, I am the Supernatural Bear, and I am nine years old. It's really nice to meet you, Supernatural Bear. Can I just call you Mr. Bear, or do you want me to call you Supernatural? Like, how should Um, we talk to each other? I have a nickname, SMB. All right, nice to meet you, SMB. Tell me about your favorite book. Well, I have a lot of favorite books, but the one we're here to talk about today is the (laughs) Gideon Trilogy. My mom and I are still emotionally scarred from that to this day. (laughs) Okay, I've never heard of the Gideon Trilogy, so tell me about it. So, um, the Gideon Trilogy is about these two kids. Their names are Peter and Kate. Basically, without spoiling anything, given a very quick summary, Peter's dad, he, um, well, he doesn't have time to work with him. Instead, his... Peter's dad's maid takes him to a farm, and that's where he meets Kate, Kate's dad. Dr. Dyer has been working on a special machine that unintentionally can perform time travel. They get sent back to the 1792 or, oh, sorry, 1763, and um, they meet some new friends, make some new enemies, and they get home. Then they have to go back again. Then they get home. Then they have to go back again. And then um, the story ends. How many books are in the series? Only three. Only the three. And so in each book, they go back to the same time? Or do they go back to all different times? Um, They go back to similar times. So um, mad spoilers for the book. Like, a, like small spoilers for this one. So okay. if you haven't read it. You want to read it. Stop this podcast right now. Go read it. Cry in your bed because the ending's super sad. And then come back. Anyway. Okay. <laughs> so, uh, now that you are back. <laughs> now that you are back. Okay. Um, in the first book, they go back in time unintentionally. Due to the anti-gravity machine's effects, which were experimental. And, um, Peter gets stuck in 1763. Kate makes it home, though. And in the second book, they try and go back to 1763, but they end up going to 1792 instead. And they Uh meet Peter. He disguises himself as Joshua Seymour, the younger brother of someone who I haven't mentioned yet, Gideon Seymour, who everyone recognizes by now, called the Gideon Trilogy. So basically, when Peter sees Kate and Peter's dad, he disguises himself as Joshua, so that way they would go back to get the um, 1763 Peter, therefore meaning that he would not exist, and that's exactly what happened. Now, you think that would be the end of the story, because they have a small victory party, until <laughs> the Tar Man, the main villain of this, he gets actually transported with them. Uh-oh. So, long story short, he comes, 
crashes the party, takes Peter and Kate because they're he thinks they're the only ones who know the code, and then you know they get transported, and for some reason Kate, she starts fading between seventeen sixty three and the present time, which we don't know. She is pretty weak. Cause she has also been having these fast forwards, which are、um, when she goes so fast that she's the only one moving. Really, no one else can see her. No one else can feel her except the Tar Man. And when she touches Peter, she comes back to normal. But she is very weak, and then they're able to get back home. But unfortunately. The story's other main villain, Lord Luxon, makes it back with them, and the Tar Man, and Lord Luxon is slowly fading too from the time travel since he is a conductor of dark matter, which is what activated time travel stuff. And um, well, unfortunately, Kate finally fades, and、uh, she doesn't fade back to seventeen sixty three. But her and Lord Luxon go so fast that they go out of existence. What is that? The end of the series? Oh no! It gets even <laughs> worse from here. So after all of that, all the villains are defeated. All the villains、okay. are defeated. The Tar Man is on the good guy side. Yay! He changed. He changes his ways. And also, note Gideon's here too. So、okay. I don't talk about it much, but、okay. anyway, <laughs> they go back in time. But when Peter and Kate are going to the sorry the laboratory where the anti gravity machines stuff had had happened, Peter is still very sad that his childhood friend Kate is now nothing. There's a time quake happening, which is like. Alternate parallel dimensions are made, and if nothing's done, although all the dimensions go out of existence, self Peter makes the ultimate sacrifice. He throws a rock at his past self, therefore making him get out of the vehicle. It alters the timeline, and the tar the tar man and Gideon say goodbye to Peter. Then they look away to throw some more rocks at. This Pete, the other Peter, and when they look back, Peter is nothing. Peter is dead. Well, at least present Peter is dead. I guess the future present Peter is dead. After that, the automatically since not none of it happened, and since they were in another time when this happened. The Tar Man and Gideon were automatically transported back to their、um, hometown back in 1763, and they would stay there for the rest of their lives. Peter goes out of existence because time stuff. Kate goes out of existence because time stuff. Lord Luxon goes out of existence because time stuff. The story is changed. Everyone is crying. The Kate and Peter that everyone knew and loved that went through all of these adventures. Are now out of existence, so they don't get to remember all these adventures they went on and all that stuff. Because <laughs> for them, it never happened. Yes, I understand. Yeah, my 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 mom's 
she's still going crazy about that. She's still mad sad. She's been thinking about it since for for over two months. We finished the book <laughs> two months ago. Was she sad about the ending? Yes. Does she? Do you guys always read books together? Usually, I read like stuff like um Lego encyclopedias, Transformers ex- encyclopedias. I you know that I like Transformers. It's your thing. Yeah, it's really my thing. Besides the Gideon trilogy, Marvel, Star Wars, stuff like that. Just... It'd be neat if there was a Gideon trilogy movie. There actually is one in production. Wouldn't that be neat to see going between the time periods? Yeah. It would also make it even more sad. Yeah, I understand. Sometimes you need to recover from tragic books. <laughs> yes. Tragic movies, tragic books, tragic experiences, too. I agree. My name is Rohan, and I am 11 years old. Rohan, tell me about your favorite book. Yes, it is. Well, thankfully, it's a series of books. It's Rabbi Harvey. Um, there are three books in this series so far. Okay. About it is about a is it's it's a very interesting uh, idea. It takes it takes like stories of of like Jewish stories, like and like they use a rabbi character who is also a Wild West sheriff. Who is, and it uses a lot of philosophy and stuff with many many stories inspired by 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 Jewish tales. Very interesting, really. Tell me first of all, how did you find this in the first place? It's been a while, so I remember. I think it was PJ Library, uh-huh. and they were. And they sometimes do this thing like once a month or something where they where they take this where they give you a choice of three books that are free or something. And then they and then you can choose one. And I guess it's a way to get people to buy more books. And I saw Rabbi Harvey and I wanted that. So we got it. And it and I thought it was very interesting. It's a graphic novel like comic book oh. and stuff, which also made it interesting. I'm very in, into that kind of book. And when I when I read it, I thought that the that the stories were very interesting. So eventually I got the whole series. I got I have a Rabbi Harvey Rise Again and which is the sequel. And and I also have another one, Rabbi Harvey versus Wisdom Kid, I think. Oh, yeah. Rabbi Harvey versus the Wisdom Kid, a graphic yeah. novel of dueling Jewish folk tales in the Wild West. Like, if there are duels, does that mean people get hurt or are they funny books or what are these about? No one really gets hurt. Uh, it, I think that in the Wikipedia page, it even it even makes sure to it, it assures the reader that it ha- that that instead of using a gun, Rabbi Har- Harvey tries to tries to solve it with words and stuff. Oh, I like that. It's more, it's more, more philosophical view on things. Can you give me an example of one of the adventures that Rabbi Harvey gets into? Well, one day I remember he goes to do this uh, contest 
where all the rabbis all, all around the all around the country, they have to like do this contest. They have to bring the most valuable item, and uh, they and uh, whoever brings the most valuable item wins. So Rabbi Harvey he can't find anything, so he gets desperate and he goes to ask his neighbor for help. And the neighbor says, "Okay, I'll give you this family heirloom. It's a silver candle, but don't lose it." And then he and then Rabbi Harvey's like, "All right." So he runs right back to the the con the building that's holding the contest. Right when he's about to arrive, a thief, a bandit, comes up and pulls a gun up at him and uh, says, "Give me all your valuable items." So Rabbi Harvey decides to to play a few tricks on the bandit and he's like oh i have this uh, silver candle but i'm not going to give it to you and he's like you know i have the gun you, you maybe you should you should have thought that of it and he's like okay shoot me and I'm like okay so he shoots him twice but like he goes right through his shirt and uh, so then he hears like the backstory bandit how like he got desperate he like had this job as a potato salesman and he wasn't making a lot of money, so he committed theft, and he stole something, sold it. One theft led to another, and he became a bandit. He just stole valuable items as a living. So then he he starts crying, saying that he that he swears that he'll never be be a bandit again, and that he'll lead, lead a peaceful life from now on. And then he. He take and then, then when the when the band starts crying, um, Rabbi Harvey took a, took an empty wine bottle, put it on under the bandit's face, and a tear fell into the the bottle, and he brought that to the contest uh, test, and he won, won first prize. What did he say it was? The tears of a bandit. The tear the tears of a of a bandit. Yeah. Wow. Okay. One thing I don't understand is the rabbi magic or something. How come the bullets didn't hurt him? Well, because they went through his clothes. Oh, his they never actually touched him. He's not magic. He's a regular human. He's just a regular guy. There is another chapter. Every, every book has it uh, called Stump the Rabbi, where all these, these, uh, all these people go up, up to the, the uh, rabbi and... Uh, they pay five cents to get him to not be able to answer something like a very wise question or something. If he can't answer, the person that asks gets a free pie. Well, I guess technically it costs five cents, five but cents. <laughs> but anyways, um, it's very funny. It's it's obviously mainly directed towards younger children that that uh that really just just have some time on their hands and could read a good Rabbi Harvey book. I don't know too much about Jewish folklore tales. Do you? I can definitely say before I read this book specifically, I remember I knew some, but I definitely learned more with Rabbi Harvey. Real, really, most of the st- the stories are just just old Jewish stories, but with a wild west twist. Rohan, do you always read um, graphic novels, or do you ever just do you ever read chapter books? Well, mainly, well, mainly I read graphic novels, but um, they feel more like like a like a short TV show 
while a chapter book would be a would be a whole movie. I love that. That is that is the perfect way to describe it. Now that you say that, that's exactly right. My name is Kate, and I'm 11 years old. My favorite book is called Alone. It's by Megan Freeman. I have never heard of this book. Tell me what it's about. Um, it's about like this girl, and um, she lives with uh, she in two different houses. And she has like a ton of brothers and she gets sick of them and she wishes that she could just be alone. And um, she goes and she tells her mom that she'll be at her dad's house and her dad that she'll be at her mom's house. And she goes and she has a secret um, sleepover, but neither of her friends can make it. So she's just alone. And then um, when she wakes up, um, her phone is going like all these alerts that they have to like evacuate the state and stuff. But her phone was dead, so she didn't get them. And then she's all alone in her state. Okay, why do they have to evacuate? Um, it doesn't really say why. It just says there is like um just like a threat, but she never runs into that threat in the book. Oh, okay. So there's something like a fire or a flood or something going on outside of the house where she is. Yeah. My mom said it was probably like about like um politics or something like that in the book. Okay. Yeah. So what happens? Is it like a survival tale or something? Um, yeah, she's left all alone and she has to like, um, like get things from grocery stores and stuff, like rob them and stuff. Um, but nobody's there, so it's not really robbing. And she has, um, she has her neighbor's dog too. Um, her neighbor, she saves her neighbor's dog. Does she have survival skills? Like, does she know how to be alone? Um, well, she learns more and more and she, um, she gets... I think she's alone for like three or four years. <gasps> I know. Oh my God. I know. I was, I was surprised how her, like um, her parents couldn't get to her then. What happens to her? What, tell me about some of the adventures that, or the scary things or, or cool things that happen to her while she's alone. Well, one of my favorite parts is she's going um, to a different town because her town is like ran out of like canned things and stuff that she needs. that won't go rotten. And um, all the stray dogs and stuff um, are like like running around and stuff. And she gets into a grocery store to get all the stuff. And the dogs corner her, and they want they probably want to eat her. And it's kind of scary. I know. Um, like it doesn't seem um, like super interesting that part, but like how the author writes it, like um, like she really gets to like your heart beating kind of. Oh my gosh, I think that actually sounds terrifying. It was terrifying. But then she has one dog that she has kept. Yeah, but she keeps that dog at home because I think his paw is hurt or something. And it's a really far away. Is the overall book like scary or inspiring or Um, sad? Well, it's kind of like all of them because she runs into so many different things. Like there's scary parts and then there's sad parts and then there's parts that are like, oh my gosh, wow. Why did you like it so much? Um, I liked her dog. And also, <laughs> yeah, I thought her dog was really cute on the cover. And I um, I really liked um, how she would like, there was like this one part at the beginning of the book where her she was um, doing a book report with her brother and her little brother was asking, do you think it would be the hardest to not have food and have to survive or be alone? And she was like, well, you can survive if you're alone, 
um, but you can't survive without food or anything. And then when she actually, she finds out under the fridge while she's actually been alone for a few years, and then she starts crying. That part's really cool. And so, okay, we're going to have to bleep this out of the podcast, but what happens at the end? Um, at the end, God, I have to read this. So is part of the reason that it appealed to you so much because you have two brothers and you're such a bookworm? Um, I don't know. Um, my mom picked a, a ton of books for me at the library and I just read the back and see what looks most interesting to me. And that one looked really cool to me. Um, to see all the different things that she has to survive. So you're one year younger. Did you say the girl's 10? Um, I think when it starts out, she's like 10 or 11. And then when it ends, she's like like 13 or 14. So you're the same age. Yeah. Do you think you could survive it? <laughs> I have no idea. I think I would be like really um, like scared and sad, but... I think I'm I'm might be able to, but it was really smart of her to think of like canned stuff. I think I would just like eat the rotten stuff and not think about it. I don't think rotten. Did she have electricity? No, she didn't. It like oh. it was like she had electricity for a few days, and then it just like the power just completely went out, and she had to uh, drive her mom's car to like different places. And she, I was like, oh, oh my gosh. <laughs> Well, maybe that wouldn't be so scary, I guess, if there weren't any other cars on the road. Yeah. But also, um, whenever I'm in the car and I'm watching my mom steer, um, it looks like so scary. There's also um, another scary part in the book where like there are like um, these like invaders that came and they would just like like rob all the stores and everything. And, she, and it was like really scary because one of them, like they found a little kid and then like the leader just killed it. Oh, no. That's terrible. Yeah. yeah. This is not what I expected to hear from you. I think last year you chose a sweet book about dogs. Yeah, pretty sure I did. My name is Jack and I am 13. Hi, Jack. Tell me about your favorite book. My favorite book is The Outsiders about a boy named Pony Boy. And he has two brothers, Soda Pop and Derry. And he lives with a gang named the Greasers, or they are Greasers. Greasers wear um, black leather vests with a white shirt underneath and usually jeans as well. And they're called Greasers because their hair, they put a bunch of hair grease into it or to make it look greasy and the beginning of the book just has him introducing all of the members and how they all have lived for the last I would say 14 years and um he now depends on the gang because he lost his mom and dad Mm -hmm. a car accident and then we learn about more about uh soda pop his brother which is really he's really kind and sweet and sympathetic uh dairy isn't as sympathetic because he works two jobs and doesn't really have any time to spend with anyone and he's more tough than them and doesn't really have as much emotion as them and then we learn about how they're uh 
about the other gang that there is the socials mm-hmm. aka the socials uh and they are the rich kids and they drive sports cars uh they don't really have feelings in fact in the book i believe it was cherry valance that said when you have everything it feels like you have nothing mm-hmm. so then they just do stuff to the poor kids because they don't have anything else to do, I guess. They just don't feel like they fit in with the rest. It is sad because as we go further into the book, at, a, at around chapter three, uh, Pony Boy and Johnny are jumped by the Soches, like five Soches, and Johnny, uh, actually, Pony Boy was then attacked by them and they tried to drown him in the fountain but Johnny comes up behind the ringleader and stabs him with the pocket knife that he has and that kills him and then the other ones flee and they have to go to Dally which is Dally doesn't really have any emotions either He's just tough and brutal and doesn't, he doesn't have a family that cares for him. He's lost everybody else that was special to him. And now all he has that he really does care about is Johnny. Cause Johnny gets what he's going through. Cause his family is the same. Mm-hmm. He doesn't really have anybody special except for the gang. And then they have to get a gun from him and some money so they can go up and live in the hills until um, Johnny's safe to come back down uh, since he's going to be wanted for the murder. Um, And then they go up there for around a week. Then they have a rumble between the greasers and the socias. The Greasers win. Pony Boy is assigned at school since he's been get, getting really bad grades ever since the trial uh, against him. Uh, Pony Boy then at school is just too caught off guard and just thinking about his own life instead of getting good grades or anything. And then he just falls behind in all of his classes. And then he's assigned just for him a um project where he has to write about something like a story of your life a story from your life and then he starts off that essay uh with the first few parts with the first few um words that are in the beginning of the book and then that's the end. I love this book so much. I cannot believe this is your favorite. So what, tell me what you like about it. Um, I like this, just the subject of there being two different rival gangs. One is rich kids, one is poor kids. And also um, the movie got me even more into it. Yeah because it has a lot of stars in it and a lot of 
people that I already loved. Like who? Uh, Ralph Macchio. Tom, no, what was it? Tom Cruise was Tom Cruise in it. Yeah, Tom Cruise. Um, Dally, no, Derry and Dally were both uh, other people that were really famous as well. This book was so popular when I was young, and I—it's so funny. I just reread it last year. I was so happy that it is still, even at my age, it is. So good. I think it's really made for all ages. Not so. all ages, but teenagers and above. Yeah. And did you think it felt really old fashioned? Yeah, it was either the 60s or the 50s. However, uh, even though it was placed back then, it still is relatable to teenagers and adults today and a lot of teenagers think that their life like their moms and dads have no idea what they're going through yeah. and it it um it shows them that their parents really do know what they're going through so what else have you read this year anything else interesting i have read the sun trail what's that another warrior cats book oh you're still into warrior cats I'm always I I'm pretty sure I'm always going to be into it. <laughs> How many books are in that series now? I mean, it's something like five million, right? Close to it. <laughs> um, let's see here. There are there are seven different series mm-hmm. right now, and there are six books in each series. So that is a total of forty-two books. However, there's also novellas, super editions, ultimate editions, mangas, uh, some other ones. And Mm -hmm. for all of those, there's like 12 of each. So that's around 102 books. And you read them all? I have read all of, almost all of the series. And then I don't know how many more series they're going to do. I hope they just keep on going forever. Hi, my name is Joey. I am 14 years old. And my favorite book is The Generations Trilogy by Scott Sigler. Joey, tell me about The Generations Trilogy. So it starts with a group of, um, I believe, six kids waking up in just a room. They all wake up in coffins, which is fun. And... um, (laughs) Yeah, so they wake up in this room with 12 coffins, but only six of them wake up because the other coffins are filled with dead people. And none of the people that wake up remember anything, not even their own names. Um, <clears throat> so basically the first book is sort of like a mystery because they're in this, like, they're in this maze and, like, they're not sure if they're in a building or underground because they have no memory. And, um, pretty much the plot of the first one is they're just trying to find their way out and the plot definitely evolves throughout the trilogy to a lot more than trying to get out of a maze but there's very few i can there's a very small amount of things i can say about the second and third book without you know giving away major spoilers okay tell me the names of the three books okay um so it starts with alive and then the second one is alight which is my personal favorite and then the third one is alone this sounds very dark and mature. Yeah. Um, so 
Before I say this next part, I would like to clarify that when I read it, I was not scarred, and I was okay. Um, but, like, I first read it when I was 12, and I think if you had really known what happens in that book, you wouldn't have let me read it. Oh, God. Like, once again, I was fine, it was okay for me, I just don't think you would have been okay with it. I mean, like, yeah, it is a dark trilogy, there's a lot of dark themes and vaguely graphic violence. What does vaguely graphic violence mean? I mean, like, it doesn't, like, go into detail about, like, blood splatters or stuff like that, but there is a lot of fighting and a lot of death and injury and stuff like that. It's it's definitely a don't-get-too-attached type of series. Um, <laughs> but, like, I've always noticed that the deaths aren't really used as a gimmick. They really, like, whenever a character dies, it really packs a punch, and it's just so incredibly written because you it really makes you feel the stakes of the story. And there's a lot of, like, really important characters dying, but also on several occasions, um, like, um, the author will just introduce a character and just, like, kill them in the next chapter. But what's so well-written about when he does that is he makes you care about the characters so quickly that even though you just met them, it's still so devastating that they died. I, it's incredible, honestly. Is there anything that is not bleak in this book? Oof. <laughs> um, not a lot. It's a, it's a very bleak trilogy. So how, what makes you like a bleak trilogy? I don't know, honestly. I mean, I like this trilogy just because it's so well written. I couldn't really describe why I like bleak stories. Does it lead to, as with Hunger Games, you know, there's a new... There's a new beginning at the end of the third one, and we are led to believe that the world is a better place, even though they had to go through so much trauma to get there. Is that what this does? So, um, this trilogy definitely ends with, like, a lot of new things to the story. I, I can't really reveal a lot, but, um, I actually don't like the ending. I wasn't a huge fan of the third book, and the ending kind of disappointed me. Which was unfortunate. You can't tell us why? Yeah, there's really not a lot I can say about the second or third books. Okay, so you said the second book is your favorite in yeah. the trilogy. Yeah. Um, can someone just pick up the second one and still understand what's going on? Nope. Or you, you really do have to <laughs> yeah, start Yeah, definitely from the first? not. <laughs> so, who is this book for? Like, if, say, for example, if you like this movie, you would like this book. Or if you have preferred this series in the past you would like this series i'd say people that like like dystopian dystopian future uh preteen or teen like young adult books would like this like people that like like hunger games would probably like this mm. i mean i i compared it to the maze runner earlier i'd say um maze runner and this have kind of the same demographic tar target demographic have you read the hunger games yeah you know that <laughs> But my listeners don't. <laughs> so let's try that again. Okay, fair enough. Have you read The Hunger Games? Yes, I have. And you think this is better than The Hunger Games? Uh, yeah, I'd say so. Would it make a good movie? Oh my god, yes. But the thing, I think it would make an incredible movie, but I don't know if I could see it, because it would be very scary put to screen. Do you think it's scarier than The Hunger Games? Oh, yes. <laughs> oh, because that's a pretty scary concept. Yeah, I mean, Teenagers definitely. murdering each other. There's a lot of teenagers murdering each other in this trilogy. What is it with your generation always murdering each other in books? That's a fair question. 
Yeah. What's the answer? I wish I could tell you. Yeah, I'm sorry we screwed up the environment for you, and now <clears throat> now you guys keep killing each other in all your books. Wow. <laughs> this got dark. Yeah. Th- that escalated. That escalated very quickly. <laughs> okay, did you read any cheerful books this year? Um, I mean, I read the final book of Trials of Apollo, which was good. Other than that, not a ton of cheerful books. That's the Percy Jackson series? Well, it's not the Percy Jackson series, but it's in the universe. Oh, okay. Is that series over with now? Yes. The final book came out, like, September of last year, I think. And I read it early this year. What are you looking forward to next? I don't know. (laughs) Um, Well, remember when we did that um, Secret Santa, Ella got me that Neil Schusterman book that was signed in first edition. I'm planning on reading that at some point soon. What's that called? Game Changer. By Neil Schusterman. Yeah. You're a big fan of his. Yes, I am. What's your favorite Neil Schusterman? I think you know. It's Scythe. Scythe, which you talked about on this show last year. Correct. You do love a dark book. I do. I do. Hi. (laughs) My name is Erin, and I'm 18 years old. Hi, Erin. Welcome to the Best Book Ever podcast. Thank you for having me. This is such an honor. I'm your biggest fan. (laughs) (laughs) Erin, tell me about your favorite book. Okay, um, well, my favorite book is Life in a Fishbowl by Len Vlahos, and I apologize for butchering that name, because I don't think I pronounced it correctly. (laughs) Tell me what Life in a Fishbowl is about. Um, Okay, so it is a very interesting um, novel, and... It is genuinely nothing like I've ever read in my life. I would try and compare it to something, but um, I literally can't. It's it was so it's so different than really anything I've ever read. Um, so basically, it centers around um, a young teenager named Jackie, and um, she just lives in a very normal everyday family. Um, but then her father gets diagnosed with um, terminal with a terminal brain tumor, I guess, or terminal cancer, whatever you would call it. Um, and then in order to make money for his family, he knows, you know, he knows he's going to die. And so in order to make money for his family before he dies, um, he decides to auction off his life. Well, we'll rather like auction off what's left of his life, um, on eBay. And then, um, so yeah, he decides to auction himself off and whoever bids the highest can basically do whatever they want with him. So then um, he a TV program kind of um, catches the eye of the sale on eBay and decides to kind of begin filming um, a reality TV show about the family's life and their journey through his illness. Um, but then very quickly, um, the family starts to realize that kind of... Um, the manager of the TV show and the company as a whole are just very invasive and they kind of slowly start to take over um, their house and their life and their finances um, and all that. But the most interesting part of the book is that it um, switches off perspectives between all of the characters. So the daughter, the father, um, the manager of the TV show, um, the mother, and then also all of the original bidders who um, 
saw his at saw his um what is it called a sale on ebay or like something? a listing yeah saw his listing on ebay um and tried to bid for him so it's kind of going back and forth between all these characters and their experience with this um situation <laughs> what kind of people would try to bid on another man's life <laughs> good question <laughs> Thank so, you. um, one of the people who tries to bid on him is a nun, for example, um, and she is bidding on him in order to, um, save his life, um, or what she thinks would be saving his life because she basically wants to save him from being purchased by someone with bad intentions, I guess you would say, um, such as one person with bad intentions who's bidding on him, um, is just like another character in the story who's bidding on him, but his plan is to murder him after he buys him, basically. Um, so there's just all these different characters with all these dish- different intentions um, who bid on him at first, but ultimately the TV show um, company gets him. But still throughout the book, all these bidders are still involved um, with him. So the chapters are still from their perspectives. So yeah. Yes, it is very sad because, um, you know, the family kind of starts to realize that this TV show is kind of controlling their entire lives and pretty much ruining their lives. But um, they know they kind of have no way out because they, you know, signed contracts and whatever. And also um, they need the money because the dad was their main source of income and everyone knows that he's very shortly going to die um so they kind of have no way out because they need the money so now this is a book that you the second you finished it you handed it to me because you are my ya book whisperer yes i think you've left out a really crucial one of the one of the povs the points of view is what well um yeah so i i couldn't decide if i was going to talk about this because do you think we should or no um yeah, we can. Um, but like, so yeah, another, um, point of view, another, um, uh, another, I guess you would call it a character who gets their own chapters from their own perspective, um, is the brain tumor itself. And that sounds super crazy and it is, but basically, um, the, it's a way to kind of get more of an insight into the family's life because, when the chapters are from the brain tumor's perspective, the brain tumor is kind of eating away at all of these memories and all of these feelings from um, the dad's brain. So you kind of get an insight to like memories of his children's um, upbringing and his upbringing and um, his you know feelings that he doesn't say out loud. And in the end, when the brain tumor kind of um, makes him unable to function anymore it's like that is him you know what I mean so it's like he as a character and in the book is not able to communicate with his family or anything else but you're still getting um insight to what he's thinking and feeling because there are chapters from the brain tumor's perspective so it's like it's him in a way but it's also the thing that's killing him and it's it's so crazy um and yeah it's just it's just unlike anything it's a really deep book yeah for very young people don't you think yes it's i mean it's definitely ya fiction i would and it's not scary i wouldn't say um i mean there it's definitely 
drama and there are some, I would even say near the end, thriller, I guess, aspects yeah. to it. Definitely uh, yeah, definitely near the end. Yeah, a little bit. But it's not scary. Um, it's definitely a heavy topic, but I think it's written in a way that's like, obviously, I don't know anyone who's had a brain tumor. I've never had a brain tumor, but I could read it in a way where I could really like sympathize with this family. And it really gets into sort of the meaning of life, right? Like, yeah. what does it mean to be a human? Yes, for sure. And it really gets into another aspect, which you're kind of not expecting going into it, but it really gets into, like, social media and the entertainment industry and how fake it is um, because it's very clear that the TV show is kind of manipulating their lives to look over-dramatized and... and um, editing it in a way that everything is more sad and more dramatic and everyone's angrier and all this stuff. So yeah, it um, also kind of explores that aspect, which is not really expected, but really a good addition. So everyone is kind of feeding off this family, not just the brain tumor. <laughs> is that the thing? Yes. Did you learn something from this book? I think not I didn't necessarily like learn a huge life lesson or something, but this book was one of the first books that really showed me how um, versatile writing could be. Um, just because, like I keep saying it, but genuinely I have never read anything like it. So um, I read it and I was just kind of blown away with writing. Bookworms, I do almost all of my recordings via Zoom, and most of us are so sick of Zoom interactions, we could scream. That goes double for the school-aged kids in our lives. So before I sign off today, I'd like to say a special thank you to the parents who helped wrangle these kids to do a podcast interview. I am so grateful to them for giving up their precious family time to talk to me, and I'm so grateful that they're raising readers. Your kids are so smart, so funny, and so dang interesting. I am absolutely in awe of all of you. Thank you. Now, if you'd like more information on this episode and links to all the books we discussed, check out the show notes or go to my website, bestbookeverpodcast.com. You can also follow the podcast on Instagram at bestbookeverpodcast. I'm your host, Julie Strauss, and you can find me everywhere as Julie wrote a book. Remember, whenever you're book shopping, help support indie bookstores and this podcast by using my affiliate link at bookshop.org slash shop slash best book ever. Bookshop supports independent bookstores, and if you shop using my link, I will also get a small percentage of your purchase at no extra expense to you. Thanks for joining me today, and I will see you at the library. It's been a delight talking to you. It always is. Oh my gosh. Thank you so much. It's been a delight. I'll talk to you in like 15 minutes when we have dinner, okay? Yeah. <laughs>